Always find your way home. The boy Jesus in the temple. I'm not going to take a lot of time with this today, but I do want to kind of drive that point home and then talk about the indescribable gift. So the advent. We just heard the story of Jesus in Luke 2 and going to the temple. And, you know, the point I kind of want to drive home from that is that we can learn. We can learn from that 12-year-old child. Um, and his, uh, you know, his wandering away. Um, but he was really finding his way home. And what you see in those verses is he, something in his own human awareness, clicked that he was having like a deja vu experience, I guess. You know, something about the temple was reminding him and he was old enough and developed enough now to start to process it and realize who he was. And so he, I think he just was trying to find himself. And a lot of us as young people, it's normal to kind of separate from your parents and try to find yourself, but we typically do it in very immature and rebellious ways. Jesus wasn't being immature or rebellious, but he was being 12. And he was trying to say, who am I besides the son of Joseph and Mary? Those are very important questions to ask. And they require, to some extent, you to separate from your parents. Children that don't do that in healthy ways, that's not good. Some parents stop them from doing it. That's not good. <laughs> and you see that happening with Jesus in a good way, though it freaked his parents out. But as he's going through this experience and having his deja vu and who am I and I'm finding myself moment, he starts hearing the religious teachers and really just in verses 46 through 49, you see a lot of things that Jesus did. And he, um, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Remember, he's 12. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. No kidding, three days, right? Um, and he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And ultimately, God's house is his people. The temple was just a picture of it, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Um, but what Jesus did as a child, and just to kind of piece that together, is as he went through his life's journey, even by age 12, he's trying to hear a voice that's speaking through all of your experiences. And he listened. So listen. Listen deeply. Even at age 12, he started listening and as he listened and he heard these people talking, because there's something you're, that your heart's trying to hear, and then there's all the other people who are trying to make sense of it, and none of us makes perfect sense of it. So they started saying things, and as they're talking and trying to teach him, it says he asked. But the idea of ask here is a very strong word. He is say, he's kind of demanding an answer. He was really, really wanting an explanation. Now, when we go through our youth, and for some of us, that's our whole life because we never mature. Um, but sometimes when we want an answer to something, we become quite demanding. But we don't do it in good ways. We'll blow stuff up. We'll rebel. 
He wasn't doing that, but he was saying, there are some answers I need. And I'm going to keep digging for them. And so we have to be better at letting people ask hard questions. When Jesus was asking hard questions and really kind of demanding an explanation, and he was blowing their minds. They're, they're trained scholars. He's 12. And so he amazed them. And I think there's something about even when he's asking these very demanding questions, the attitude in which he asked it wasn't putting these people off. They were shocked that a 12-year-old was that determined to understand what was really important in life. We would just stop searching for the hard answers and settle for creaturely comforts. As something's haunting in me, I guess I'll just get a nicer house. That wasn't, that 12, Jesus was like, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to really answer the deepest questions. And so he amazed people um, with his understanding and with his answers to their questions. And that just, his parents walk in on this at some point in it. As he starts asking hard questions and pushing them, they're amazed that he's putting all this together. He's, he's showing an understanding of what's really important in life. And he's starting to answer them. He's giving better answers than the scholars. And the parents are seeing the tail end of this and their minds are blown. They are astonished. But what drove Jesus, what he became aware of, was what I said as the quote from literature, he was always going to find his way home. He knew where he belonged. Listen, ask, amaze people, astonish them, be awesome, but know your home. Know where you belong. We belong with God and with his people. So, and that in our world today is the church. <laughs> know where you belong. It's easy to stop asking the hard questions, dissociate from community, shrink your world. Don't do it. At 12, Jesus wasn't letting that happen. And he never did. He just kept on that mission. So that's a lot to teach us about what's really important. But later on, as he's now about 30, and he begins his ministry, he quotes from Isaiah, not the passage we're going to preach from today, but he goes back to his home area, the synagogue there, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And Isaiah talks about that spirit a lot and how it would rest on the Messiah. And in Isaiah 11, which is our passage that was read by Joe today, um, that passage says the same thing. The spirit of the sovereign Lord would rest on him. And that spirit is what drives Jesus, is being filled with that spirit. And that idea of rest, the spirit rest on Jesus, rest has been a significant sub-theme for us throughout this Advent season. Jesus gives rest. Come to me, Matthew 11, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. And then Matthew 12, the unclean spirit wanders through empty places seeking rest and finds none. But did you ever think 
that maybe the key to you finding rest is that you commit yourself to being a place where the Holy Spirit can rest in you. And the Holy Spirit's like, this is a comfortable home for me. Have we ever phrased it that way? The Holy Spirit, when in Jesus' humanity, was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is a good home for me. The Spirit was resting in Jesus, and that's why he became a source of rest to other people. And that's what Isaiah talks about. The spirit of the sovereign Lord was on him, and that spirit would give him rest. Rest. The spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 11, 2, shall rest upon him, become a resting place for God's spirit. See, I can, I can work on that. If I know Jesus, so I've accessed that spirit, and I just put my efforts into me being a resting place for God's spirit, I have a strong hunch that along the way, I'll find rest. But when I make it all about me finding rest, instead of me being a place of rest for the Spirit, it just becomes the dog chasing his tail. We need to put the horse before the cart. We were made to be a resting place for God's Spirit. And in finding that, we find rest. That spirit, Isaiah talks about seven things about that spirit. You want to become a resting place for God's spirit? The first thing is, is the spirit of the Lord. And that idea of the spirit of the Lord is what Jesus, that's what, it was Jesus, but in the burning bush, Jesus is the one speaking through the burning bush. Moses asked, who should I say sent me? I am sent me. That's where the Hebrew people got this idea of the name Lord. I am what? I am that I am. And the Hebrew scholars themselves talk about God as the eternal now. That's important for us. Not just because he's the eternal one, but that God's emphasis on present tense. Because see, our present tense is the closest thing we have to his experience. And most of us wreck our lives because we're not focusing on the present moment. We have regret about the past. We have anxiety about the future. Funny how those feed each other. And we get pulled out of the present moment, and then we're out of step with God's Spirit. So it's really just being fully present now and hearing what God's saying to you right now. You can always do, through the Spirit God makes available to you, whatever God is asking you to do right now. And that's how you build confidence. And that's, the, that's how God communicates himself to Moses. I am what? That's not a sentence. God, speak correct grammar. <laughs> I am the grammar of being. I am that I am. Just walk with me now. And as you do that, and that's the most important thing, the spirit of the Lord, the I am, the eternal now, resting on you, then you gain something. You gain wisdom. Wisdom is skill, experience, knowledge, discernment, taking all together the ability to live life well. You know what gives you the ability to live life well? Managing right now well. And you just start stringing together the right now moments. Because nobody is full of the Spirit five minutes from now, right now. 
And if you weren't full of the Spirit two minutes ago, the only thing that matters is getting in step with the Spirit right now. That's wisdom. And that Spirit comes through God's indescribable gift and is itself another manifestation of God's indescribable gift. When Jesus gives that great passage on ask, seek, knock, he's really talking about God will give you the Spirit. That's the indescribable gift. We're like, give me the big mansion. Give me the new car. Give me the promotion. God's like, you're not asking too much. You're asking for dregs. The spirit, this spirit that Isaiah is talking about, why are you selling yourself so cheap? You're worth more than that to me. I'm going to burn the whole universe down and make a new one. You're going to be there if you know me. I'm not hung up on this universe. You're worth more than that. Seek the gift. That's wisdom. And as you gain wisdom and you're in that present moment and you're managing it well, you start to get a spirit of understanding. Now, I talked about a couple weeks ago. You're never going to understand the understanding. God is the understanding. You can't get under him. That's why faith is essential. But if you trust him, which means we have to trust his word because we will never understand him. So if we can't believe what he says, we're done. We have to believe his word. But if we do that, we start gaining the ability to knit the facts of life together in the right way. Let me try to give an, um, a mini parable or analogy. The same four facts can spell meat and the same four facts can spell team. Are you just a piece of meat? Or are you part of God's team? Kind of depends how you look at it. Which way is the right way to look at it? How are you going to spell the facts? That's understanding. <laughs> and it comes through His Spirit. Now, if you start knitting it together in a way where you are part of the team, and that's how you see life, and you're really just for the team, and you are always going to find your way home, and your home is with God and His people, and that's the spirit that's driving you, that's the attitude that's driving you, that's the mood that's driving you, then all of a sudden, you get good at counsel. And people learn how to live life more skillfully and be for God's people and for his team and present through you. And that is power. Because that changes destinies. That's, that's the ability to actually make a difference for eternity. That's power. And it all started with power over yourself. Once you have a spirit of power, capability, fortitude, perseverance, the ability to maintain the course and not quit, that's the idea of power. Then, then, you have true knowledge. We want to sit there before all of it and figure out God, the eternal now, and then we'll think about whether we walk with the spirit. See how far down the list knowledge is? And if you have true knowledge, you don't get past this, fear. 
the Hebrew people have that paradox of putting such a positive and negative emphasis on the idea of fear. But for Christ, it was spirit of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in fear. Joe did a good job emphasizing it. So what is that? Okay, it's not a spirit of timidity. I talked about this at length earlier in the human being series. It's not this, oh, I have this thing go off in my gut, and so I learned to become avoidant. That's a spirit of timidity. And if you've ever been exposed to horrific relationships or abuse or whatever, you get it. <laughs> that thing goes off and you're like, I'll just avoid, I'll just avoid, I'll just avoid. But that, you're never really going to deal with life well if you develop a spirit of timidity. What if it was like, God, what do you need me to do right now? You just got my attention. And now I have all this energy and I can channel it the right way. Jesus was like, that's awesome. <laughs> I delight in that. And delight is such a beautiful term. I've said it many times. It's like walking into a house and, feeling, and, and smelling freshly baking brownies or whatever is your preferred dessert. Okay? And as you walk in the house, notice how you kind of just find your way to the kitchen. <laughs> What's that? See, you're going toward it. You're going toward the source of that spike in you. But for Jesus, it was positive, not negative. Awe, godliness, reverence, devotion. And it's only our fallenness that flips it the other way. It doesn't matter what the scenario is if you're in the present moment. It doesn't matter if you paint the worst possible picture you could paint. You have your young child, you're cornered by 10 sex traffickers, and they're trying to take your child. They're going to get your child, unless God does a miracle. But does it change what you need to do? No, you know, that fear, you need to fight. <laughs> you don't, that don't take your child. It doesn't matter what the result is. You know what you need to do if you can actually delight in the fear. Doesn't mean you don't feel it. Jesus felt it in Gethsemane in the present moment when he was going through it. But he didn't stress about it or worry about it beforehand. Just told him what he needed to do. Can you imagine flipping that? Well, that would take a sense of getting in the present moment. That would take a lot of skill. That would take a lot of understanding about what's truly important. That would take the ability to give and receive counsel. That would take a lot of power. That would take a deep level sense of experience and knowledge of God to delight in the fear of the Lord. But Jesus, from age 12 on up, knew, don't worry about me. I'm always going to find my way home. Would you come with me? I go to my father's house. And if I go, I will come to take you to be with me where I am. If it were not so, I would tell you. That's the advent. That is the indescribable gift. If you can walk like that, your life is meaningful. And if you can't walk like that, you can spend the rest of your life trying to medicate it. It's not going to work. 
Isn't that an indescribable gift? Go live it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and this time. Help us to just walk in the name of Jesus and in the spirit that is the indescribable gift that is your own presence and love for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.